This is Africa Digest. It is 1700 hours Central African time. Hello and welcome to Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We are coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. You can find us on frequency 9625 kHz and the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. My name is Spumela Lezondi and I am with Amanda Machaka, Joala Netulo and Nedu Let's take a look at the top stories. A group of civil society organizations are calling for an independent and impartial international investigation into human rights violations in Ethiopia. Thousands of people have turned up for free health screening in Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. SAB Miller has been taken over in one of the largest deals in corporate history. In economic news, South Africa's biggest telecoms company, MTN, has refuted claims that it, it, it repatriated billions of US dollars illegally from Nigeria. And in sports, South Africa's popular team, Kaiser Chiefs, is looking for maximum points tonight against a free state stars after two successive retreats. Amanda Machaka has the news. Thank you, Spumelele. Good evening. Six international and national human rights groups say Guinea has yet to deliver justice for the grave crimes committed on September 28, 2009 at Conakry Stadium. That day, seven years ago, more than 150 peaceful protesters were massacred by security forces and more than 100 women were raped. Hundreds of injuries and widespread looting were also documented. Clemens Bektakte, lawyer at the International Federation for Human Rights, explains what happened on that day. There was a movement, pacific protestation from Guinean opposition, but also from Guinean people in general. And they came to the stadium in Conakry, the stadium of the 28th September, in order to call for free elections in the country and a call also for uh, democracy. And this protest was very severely repressed, in particular in the stadium, which led to a massacre, and more than 150 people who were murdered and more than uh, 100 women who were raped. The former vice president of the Democratic Republic of Congo, Jean-Pierre Bemba, has formally appealed against his conviction of war crimes. Bemba's defense team argues that his trial in the International Criminal Court at The Hague was flawed. The former militia leader was sentenced to 18 years in jail in June. This after the court found him guilty on five charges of war crimes and crimes against humanity. Rescue workers have pulled dozens of bodies from the hold of an Egyptian fishing boat that sank in the Mediterranean Sea, carrying hundreds of migrants trying to make it to Europe, bringing the toll from the disaster to more than 200 dead. Families of the missing are searching through the body bags for their loved ones. For, for days, authorities and fishermen have been recovering bodies from the water or finding them washed up to the shore. Ever since the boat capsized and sank before dawn on September 21, about 12 kilometers off the Egyptian coast, around 160 of those on board survived. In South Africa, at least 10 Rhodes University students have been arrested following violent protests. Police used rubber bullets and stun grenades to disperse the protesting students for allegedly vandalizing police property and blockading roads. Five of the students were arrested for violating a court interdict that the university had obtained against them. Police spokesperson Luvuyom Chegula. 
10 students total have been arrested by Grahamstown Police. Of those students who were arrested for violating a court interdict that the university had obtained against anyone who, who protested and threatened anyone um, at the university. The second group of five students, they were arrested for malicious damage to property. This after they attempted to, in fact, they closed, they blockaded uh, Somerset Street in Grahamstown. And as police tried to talk to them, they removed them from uh, blockading the, the street. They started pelting police vehicles with stones. And police fired rubber bullets. The students seized their actions. And finally, police in a California city have fatally shot a black man who had been reportedly acting erratically. This has prompted protesters to quickly gather and accuse officers of an unjustified killing. The shooting happened east of San Diego yesterday. It is the latest in a string of killings of black men by police that have fueled outrage across America. Channel Africa News. Shame, Amanda. It sounds like you have flu there. Yeah. <laughs> Get better. I have all. I hope you have all the right concoctions for it. Yeah, I do. Um, I hope I get better soon as well, hey? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it's 17.05 Central African time. Let's start in Ethiopia, where a group of civil society organizations are calling for an independent and impartial international investigation into human rights violations in the country, including the unlawful killing of peaceful protesters and a recent spate of arrests of civil society members documenting this crackdown. Concerned organizations are worried about levels of persecution and detention of civil society members in the country include Defend Defenders, East and Horn of African Human Rights Defenders Project, the Association for Human Rights in Ethiopia, Amnesty International, the Ethiopia Human Rights Project, Frontline Defenders and the International Federation for Human Rights. To help us unpack this, Channel Africa spoke to Coletto Anjoy, our correspondent based in Addis Ababa and Yared Haile Mariam, who's the executive director of the Association for Human Rights in Ethiopia. For the past few months, I would say something started uh, really hot as of uh, November of last year, towards the end of last year, when we had uh, uh, portraits from different ethnic groups, especially the Oromo, and we also had something from the Amara coming up. Uh, These are big ethnic groups in Ethiopia. And what we have seen is uh, these people trying to come out to speak out to the government and saying that uh, we are being marginalized. We need the government to listen to us when our human rights are being abused because we had issues of uh, government being accused of uh, actually carrying out extrajudicial killings, of, uh, of, uh, I mean, of, of uh, mistreating people, going door to door. These are some of the things that were documented, especially by the Human Rights Council here. And so the issues that have been happening. So we have had uh, a push and pull between the government and the residents from different parts of the country, whereby on one side the government looks at these at uh, some points will say these are, these are acts of probably hooliganism or people who want to just distract peace in the country. But on the other hand, we have... Uh, we have a citizen saying that we, we have a point here. We need our lunch to be given back to us. We don't want to go under, for example, jurisdiction of another ethnic group. We want, I mean, some, some freedom. That's the situation as we stand now. What is this, uh, the different, different ethnic groups' uh, clashes based on? What is the underlying factor there besides the government getting involved? 
you talk to different people and they will tell you it's about marginalization. There are about issues, I think, about land where people feel like, uh, for example, if the government wants to extend Addis Ababa into their land, they feel like they should have been consulted or this should not have been done as an automatic move by the government. So there are issues of land. There are issues of uh, people feeling that they don't have the freedom to speak out maybe when, when they want something to be done. Uh, so basically, it's, land is a big issue. Land is a big issue. And this kind of triggers so many other small protests around the city. We have small triggers from different issues. We have attempted protests within the city being uh, put down by government and all that. But the basic, I mean, the basic thing, as, as, as I look at it, is the issue of land. Uh, Yared, have these uh, civil organizations been uh, vocal about human rights abuses in Ethiopia or are their calls only getting traction now? Um, this, the current situation in Ethiopia is, uh, is the sum and the accumulation of the suffocation and the uh, graves of the uh, Ethiopian people, which is, there are a lot of issues that have been not get proper answer from the government side in the last 25 years. Count um, at least 10,000 people have been killed by security forces for different reasons. And uh, recently, only in Oromia region, uh, around uh, 500 people have been killed. And in Amhara region also, at least 100 people have been killed. And now also the problem and this crackdown spread to another part of the country in the southern part of Ethiopia, in Konso. All this problem is because of the government response for uh, people r- uh, demand for their basic rights and freedoms. When there is a peaceful re- uh, protest, the response of the government is using lethal force and uh, excessive measures. So. All these civil society organizations, we are deeply concerned about this situation. If Is there anything good that the government is doing for the people of Ethiopia? Well, uh, one of the basic and fundamental things that we have from the ruling party is the constitution, which contains and endorses all the human rights uh, standards uh, that are stated under the Universal Declaration of uh, human rights and the constitution uh, in terms of I'm not discussing the whole package of the constitution but as we are talking about human rights there is a good constitution in terms of uh, protecting uh, human rights uh, but the problem is as we already discussed about it on, on the implementation mm-hmm. and the performance of the government but on another side there are uh, I'm far from Ethiopia since 2005. I just found myself on the wanted list because of my work. So uh, I couldn't be a good witness to about the development and all the progresses in the country. Uh, that there are reports I'm following that, and there are some progress on the development area. But uh, regarding the civil and political rights, and even in the economic aspect, there are huge problem and dissatisfaction among the public. So I'm not blaming for all uh, performance of the ruling party, but uh, as you see it now across the country, there is a dissatisfaction, uh, not only on the civil and political rights, uh, on the protection of or exercising their freedom, but people are also demanding a fair share of the economy of the country. There is an imbalance.
That is Executive Director of the Association for Human Rights in Ethiopia, Yared Haile Mariam. You also heard from Koleto Anjoy, she's a Channel Africa correspondent in Addis Ababa. They were speaking to Asanda Matzawunyane. Thousands of people have turned up for free health screenings in Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, and this has been happening for the last three days. The long queues in Mnazi Moja grounds yesterday were reminiscent of the Loliondo craze about five years ago, where hundreds of thousands of Tanzanians flocked to Arusha region for a miracle cure of chronic diseases such as blood pressure, cancer, diabetes, and HIV and AIDS. Our reporter Gabriel Zakaria has more from the commercial city of Dar es Salaam. Last weekend, a media campaign organized by the Dar es Salaam Regional Authorities and the private health stakeholders, which is taking place at the city center Mnazimoja ground until today, was yet another test that several Tanzanians were still suffering from chronic diseases for which they can't afford diagnosis at routine healthy facilities. Until yesterday, more than 11,000 people had flocked to the Mnazimoja grounds where doctors from private health and some public health facilities in the country are offering free consultation and basic healthy checks. The Dar es Salaam Regional Medical Officer Dr. Gracie Magembe says that the event was targeting only 3,000 Dar es Salaam residents, but the number of people who thronged the ground had shot beyond expectations. <laughs> hawapati hizi huduma labda ni kwa sababu ya gharama unaona kwamba gharama ni kubwa japo kwenye swala gharama hapo kidogo kuna utata kuna mtu we have realized that some people are not getting these services due to high cost of payment though some other people have enough money to acquire health services but they are ready to spend their money in other social services but not on health so i urge the public to create awareness on their health status and join national health insurance to avoid inconvenience many people told me that they have come because they heard that Screening service is given free, and the situation was clear proof that there are desperate Tanzanians who are suffering from chronic diseases and they can't afford treatment. I personally thank the government for the wise decision of screening our health status because most of Tanzanians are poor and cannot afford health services. I truly appreciate it. The service according to us today, and this is a good opportunity for us, people with an informal job. I commend the decision made by the president and the regional commissioner of Dar es Salaam for coming up with this good idea of testing our health status free of charge. Major Kombo Nyanga is a pharmacist from the military referral hospital Lugalo who was at one of the camps, says high blood pressure, cervical cancer and diabetes were the most frequently diagnosed healthy problems. Uh, most of the people coming here with uh, medical, uh, medical diseases like uh, hypertension, I can't say exactly a percentage but most of the people is having hypertension. And uh, the other diseases is a suspect of a, a breast cancer and cervical cancer. So most of the people who are suspected to have that uh, diseases have been referred to Ocean Road. And the last one is the uh, prostate cancer for, for elderly, especially for males.
There are people as young as Tari and Fori who are diagnosed with high blood pressure. Sure, most of the people coming here with uh, critical illnesses and some of the people coming here unknowingly that they are sick. So when we discover somebody is sick, maybe is having high blood pressure more than 220 over 140, we just uh, advise them to go for further investigation or check up in the hospitals because we are running short of time. And uh, those who are very serious, we cannot manage them because we are running short of time. Just basically we advise them to come in our hospital for further treatment in that time. Some could not believe it until the doctor broke news to them. Reporting for Channel Africa from Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, this is Gabriel Zakaria. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 1717 Central African Time, right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You are still with me, Pamela Lezondi, and I'm with you until 1800 hours Central African Time. Now, SAB Miller, the brewery which grew into a global giant from its foundations in South Africa over 130 years ago, has today been taken over in one of the largest deals in corporate history. Today, shareholders voted in favor of the $100 billion deal, which will see the company taken over by the world's number one brewer, AB InBev. However, the approval of the deal that sees the largest and second largest brewers become one company was not universally welcome, as Catherine Drew reports from London. Shareholders gathered in London on Wednesday for what was to be SAB Miller's final meeting. There, they voted to approve the $100 billion takeover deal by AB InBev around one year after it was first mooted. The merger sees AB InBev gain a major presence in the African market for the first time, where beer consumption is expected to rise. The Belgian-Brazilian multinational beer maker will also consolidate its position in Latin America. But the vote was not without controversy. Many investors were angered that two of SAB Miller's largest shareholders, the cigarette maker Altria and Bevco of Colombia, were given a preferential partial share deal, with some investors leading a campaign to oppose the takeover. Well, we think the deal smacks of poor corporate governance, and we also fundamentally think the deal undervalues SAB Miller. They included Adam Montanaro from Aberdeen Asset Management, which holds around 1% of SAB Miller's stock. Well, this deal was firstly constructed with SAB's two major shareholders offline before it became public. They've effectively been given a different deal to the rest of the shareholder base. They've been given a partial share offer, which actually represents a significant premium to the cash offer that everybody else has been given. 
Not only that, but this was designed so that no one else could really take it realistically because there's a lock-up period. So we think it's poor corporate governance and we think it sets a dangerous precedent in terms of future corporate activity. The merger of the two beer makers is expected to see around 5,500 job losses. That's around 3% of the combined workforce, many of which will go from the SAB Miller Corporate Centre. But will consumers notice any difference? Could brands start disappearing? Anna Ward is a drinks industry analyst for Euromonitor International. It's one of the risks in the future, potentially. This is such a large company, and although all the regulations have been passed and it's all been approved by regulators, the fact that this company owns around 27% of the market means they're going to have more leverage than other competitors. So there is always the risk to consumers that they're going to create deals with consumers, which is going to reduce uh, choice limit, like limit choices in the long run. SAB Miller shares are due to be delisted on the London and Johannesburg stock exchanges on the 5th of October, with the full merger taking place a few days later. SAB Miller will then cease to exist. AB InBev has said it is to keep its name. Catherine Drew, London. Your time is 17.21 Central African Time. Remember to tweet us. We are on Channel Africa One. Now, the world is mourning the passing of former Israeli President and Nobel Peace Prize winner Shimon Perez. Perez passed away in the early hours of this morning after suffering a stroke two weeks ago. He was 93 years old. Suna Fenter compiled this report. In my experience, negotiation is not trading. Negotiation is creating, namely to have new solutions. There are people in Israel and elsewhere say it's impossible to make peace between the Arabs and Israel or the Jewish people. I think they are wrong. That was how Shimon Peres saw politics. Even in a country like Israel, where conflict with its Palestinian neighbors has dominated the agenda of every administration since its formation in 1948. Perez was one of only a handful of surviving politicians who were involved in the creation of the State of Israel almost seven decades ago. In his early years as a politician, before he rose to the ranks of President and Prime Minister, Perez played a key role in negotiating Israel's nuclear security program to protect the young state in what its occupants viewed as a hostile neighborhood, mainly because of conflict with the Palestinians. In the 1970s, as Minister of Defence, he grew in prominence after successfully resolving the Palestinian hijacking of an Israeli plane to Entebbe, Uganda, with 100 passengers on board. This was an unprecedented operation and the most daring one can imagine. In 1993, he successfully negotiated the Oslo Accords alongside Bill Clinton, Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin, and the Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat. This was the first negotiations between Israel and Palestine, and although the agreement quickly disintegrated, three of the four received the Nobel Peace Prize for their efforts. Perez served twice as Prime Minister and stayed in the more symbolic role of President until after he turned 90, resigning in 2014. This earned him the title of Grandfather of the Nation. One of his former cabinet members, Ephraim Snae. Uh, he remembers as one of the best prime ministers that Israel uh, ever had. From a Palestinian perspective, Perez was only controversial for one supporting the expansion of Jewish settlements into Palestinian territory, although he later reversed this view. 
The issue, however, remains the greatest stumbling block to peace negotiations today. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, as well as America's President Barack Obama, have expressed their deep sadness over Perez's death. His son Kemi spoke briefly outside the hospital in Tel Aviv where he died this morning. Our father's legacy has always been the future. Look to tomorrow. He taught us. Build the Israel future with courage and with wisdom and always continue to strive for peace. We were privileged to have been part of his private family. But today, we sense that the entire nation of Israel and the global community mourn this great loss. We share this pain together. Shimon Peres' body will lie in state in the Israeli Knesset until Thursday. On Friday, he will be buried in Jerusalem, where dignitaries like Obama, Prince Charles, Pope Francis and the UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon will be present. Swiss commodity tenders accused of deliberately blending toxic fuel and dumping it in West Africa are blaming African governments for failing to invest in refineries and newer vehicles to lower exhaust emissions that cause respiratory and other diseases. The Geneva-based African Refiners Association, representing many traders, says the role of improving fuel quality in Africa clearly rests with African governments, not with the fuel suppliers. It was responding to allegations from Swiss watchdog Public Eye accusing traders of deliberately adding toxic products to that lower fuel quality to increase profits at the expense of Africans' health. Public Eye said traders including Vital and Trafigura provide Europe with fuel that has 10 parts per million of sulfur while creating what's called African quality fuel that has 2,000 ppm or more of sulfur. Oliver Klaassen, media director of Swiss NGO Public Eye, says the toxic substances put in the fuel for Africa are dangerous. They're very dangerous, in fact. I mean, African countries managed to, you know, put the lead out of the fuels that took decades. Now it's about the sulfur. We're talking here about an average uh, for the whole continent, uh, 200 times higher standards of sulfur in fuels, both petrol and uh, diesel, than in Europe or the U.S. or Japan. And in some countries it's up to, uh, you know, it's more than a thousand times higher so this is what we had here in Europe back in the 70s or something, and we've been suffering heavily from it, and uh, we managed to get rid of it uh, in you know, whatever it took, 10 to 15 years. We had acid rain discussions and that type of thing, you know, and now it's Africa, and it has been for decades, yeah. where this stuff is being dumped, causing severe health issues, respiratory issues, you know, you would have uh, diminished life expectancies, etc., etc. The UN has calculations, more precisely the environmental program of the United Nations, has calculated that back and forth, you know, and has confronted those governments, West African governments, with those numbers, um, to no effect until today. And how have these companies reacted to this report? Well, they, obviously, what they try to do, I mean, we, you have to be crystal clear here, this is not an illegal practice, but it's a practice that we and a lot of people in Europe and America consider illegitimate. There's no way, you know, of profiting the way they do 
from double standards, from more precisely lower standards in Africa to sell their dirty stuff and to, you know, optimize their margins. So there's an outrage actually um, uh-huh. in those countries affected by those practices. But there's also an outrage up here that because that business model that's you know behind that Provo-Koala incident I've been mentioning before has been largely unknown, completely unknown actually, also by politics. So we have different political motions already in parliament in the Netherlands, one of the biggest export nations uh-huh. with the b- biggest refinery uh, infrastructures. So more than 50% of the stuff we're talking about comes from that region. And there are a lot of politicians, you know, arguing that that shouldn't be allowed. But, you know, I'm just thinking like a company like Trafigura, they made headlines, like you've said, you know, when a ship had chartered dubbed toxic waste in the Ivory Coast, that was a decade ago. But it seems they continue with these nefarious activities. When are they going to be brought to book? That's a very good question. Trafigura has been noticeably also the company that has been trying to learn their lesson, you know, from the headlines that they've been making in the in the Ivory Coast. So they've been putting, you know, transparency initiatives forward, supporting stuff that others wouldn't. So what we do is we have a petition running online that everybody can go to and express his uneasiness, his or her uneasiness, and ask Mr. Ware, who's the CEO, of Trafigura to end this practice now and you know make sure that his company delivers only European standard fuel worldwide to Africa as well as to South America and other places. That is Oliver Clausen who's media director of Swiss NGO Public Eye talking to Jose Hoting again. He was on the line from Berne in Switzerland. It's time for your news headlines with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Spumalele. Good evening. International human rights groups say Guinea has yet to deliver justice for the grave crimes committed on September 28, 2009 at a Conakry Stadium. That day, seven years ago, more than 150 peaceful protesters were massacred by security forces and more than 100 women were raped. The former vice president of the Democratic Republic of Congo, Jean-Pierre Bemba, has formally appealed against his conviction for war crimes. Bemba's defense team argues that his trial in the International Criminal Court at The Hague was flawed. And rescue workers have pulled dozens of bodies from the hold of an Egyptian fishing boat that sank in the Mediterranean Sea, carrying hundreds of migrants trying to make it to Europe, bringing the toll from the disaster to more than 200 dead. Those are news headlines. Hi, my name is Soli Pietwe, General Manager of Channel Africa, the SABC External Radio Service. The 30th September 2016 marks 50 years of Botswana's independence from the United Kingdom. As Botswana celebrates this milestone, Channel Africa would like to join the masses across the world to wish Botswana well in their progress and prosperity. May the glory of your Golden Jubilee celebration be with you forever. Happy Independence Day. Happy Botswana Day. Pula Bahaizu.
You still listen to Africa Digest right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember that you can engage with us on social media. And we have a tweet about that SAB Miller story being taken by um, AB InBev. And Slox, who tweets as, at Slox Machindi, is asking, does that mean it's the end of the road for Black Label? Um, they have said that they will keep the brand um, SAB Miller, even though they will be deregistered at the London and the Johannesburg Stock Exchanges. So chances are they will be keeping those brands that are popular on the African continent. And um, on the story about thousands of people that turn up for free health screenings in Dar es Salaam, we have Benithanganda who tweets us at Benithanganda. And all she's asking is really, yes, there were thousands of people who turned up and they were expecting only 3,000 to turn up, but the number was much bigger than that. Your time is 17.32 Central African time. Now, Vice Chancellor at the Johannesburg-based University of Edwardeshrand, Professor Adam Habib, has made an impassioned plea to President Jacob Zuma to show his leadership. Speaking to Channel Africa, Habib has raised concern on the threat of the possibility of the academic year being cancelled. There is growing anxiety in the Southern African nation about the future of education as tertiary institutions across various provinces remain closed. Students last week took to the streets to voice their displeasure at the announcement by the Ministry of Higher Education that tertiary institutions could hike their fees at no more than 8%. More from Professor Habib. So it is going to be an electronic poll. We have, for instance, all of our students' cell phone numbers. Effectively, we have uh, the vast majority, some 98, 99% of students, all of whom have a designated cell phone. And we will be using, uh, to an SMS technology, an electronic poll, uh, effectively asking the question, that do you want to still resume the academic program, even if it requires security measures to be put in place? And that, that's what we're currently putting in place. Hopefully that that will kick off on Thursday and will run for the whole day, and we hopefully will have answers on Friday. So that's what the request is. We have basically had, in the last two days, 1,500 letters from students and parents saying what's going on. And we want this academic program to resume. And so effectively, I have to have a sense of what the opinion of my university community is. And that's effectively why we're doing this poll. Prof, I imagine that, um, of course, the responses will differ uh, from student to student. Uh, Last week, we saw some of the protesting students almost uh, attacking those who are not partaking with uh, the protests that are currently taking place, saying that they're almost spitting in their faces for fighting for something that they should all be fighting for. What happens um, uh, when some of the students do decide that they do want to go back to school? Do you envisage any uh, disruptions from those that don't want it to happen? So between you and me, very simply, the poll is only one out of a variety of mechanisms we're putting into place. The second we are asking is what are the security measures that have to be put in place to ensure such an opening would happen? And to be honest, if we do not have the security measures in place, then we can't open, even whatever Mm -hmm. the poll says. And effectively, that's the question. Now, in that regard, it seems to me that we are a public university. The responsibility of keeping and keeping this institution safe is that of the police. And the police must now learn to meet their obligations to a public university. You can't say to us that it's not our responsibility. I find that unacceptable. Mm. No vice chancellor any in the world doesn't have the police helping them to keep maintain order, etc. 
So effectively, we are engaging the police services to say, are you prepared to meet your obligation to enable this? Now, if, for instance, they can't, then we are confronted with the possibility of having to close down the university. Because if I can't guarantee the security mm. of the university, and if there's no academic program happening, why the hell am I keeping the university open? Because we're not doing what we're meant to be doing. And so that's the thing that is underway. I must say, what I would like to see is everybody say to us, I'd like a level of pragmatism to emerge uh, amongst all sectors. Because what you're going to do is destroy uh, not only higher education, you're going to destroy this country. Because if, if graduates don't happen this year, the public health service is going to have 12 to 1,500 less doctors next year. Mm. All There's going to be fewer engineers. There's going to be fewer accountants. You're going to systemically destroy the very nature of this country as a whole. And that is just unacceptable. And frankly, I want to start seeing some significant leadership from all of the players, including the president and the deputy president. Prof, I want them to start on that point, the yeah, Prof, on that point, um, of course, this is a, a very a pertinent matter that's got uh, tongues wagging um, all over, and uh, the social networks have even gone buzz in terms of this particular issue. Um, a lot of people are criticizing the government for not dealing with this uh, particular crisis with the urgency that it deserves. What are your thoughts around that? I think that, as you look, to be fair, I think Blade in Zimande is trying. And I think Blade in Zimande has put a plan on the table. Whether you agree with it or not, he's having a series of consultations. But uh, where is the political leadership in this? Why, the, why in hell does Adam Abid and the vice chancellors have to stand up and take to the nation saying, please, do you understand what you're doing to the nation if you close the system down? Where is the political leadership from this country around these questions? That, I think, is outrageous. And I'd like to see some leadership. You're a president, for God's sake. Behave like a president. Show us some leadership, because that's your responsibility. That is Professor Adam Habib, Vice-Chancellor at the South African University, Vitvatestrand, and he was talking to Zikona Miso. South Africa's tourism minister, Derek Anagom, says the tourism industry must become fully adapted to cater for people with disabilities. He was speaking in Bares in the Free State province during World Tourism Day celebrations. The day was commemorated under the theme Tourism for All, Promoting Universal Accessibility. Minister Anagom says the overall challenge is to provide for the specific needs of domestic and international tourists with disabilities. Given the theme of World Tourism Day this year, and that is tourism for all, promoting universal accessibility, is that firstly everyone in South Africa should appreciate the value of tourism and appreciate the great country that we have, the beautiful country with its wonderful people, the diverse cultures, landscapes, etc. Start off there and start off saying, hey, we have this wonderful tourism offer, and then move on to the next step and say, how can we sell this offer to ourselves? and to the world and get more tourists to visit South Africa, make it a good experience. And then thirdly, message today on this very important World Tourism Day where we are celebrating it in South Africa along with all other countries in the world on the theme Tourism for All. Every one of us should be doing whatever we can to make our places more accessible to people with special needs, to people with disabilities, so that we can show that in our tourism sector we really care. We really care about people who are in wheelchairs, who can't hear, who can't see, and make 
a special effort to make our places more accessible to everybody. And secondly, in this thing about what can we do, is to do something for people who have less money than we do. So tourism for all is not only about people with disabilities and special needs, but it should also be for people with less money. So let's let's go out of our way to at least create special days that people with less money can go to the museum, can go to the World Heritage Site, can go to the National Park, can go up Table Mountain, go to Robben Island, and have these days like they do, by the way, at Table Mountain, where on your birthday, it doesn't matter who you are, from which economic background, on your birthday, you can take a free ride up that cableway. Now, it's that sort of thing that we want every destination to offer South Africans so that we can say sometime in my lifetime although I'm not from a rich family I can also go to that art gallery or to that museum or up Table Mountain or to a national park. What informed the decision to move the celebrations to Paris? Well every year we go to a different province. Uh, last year we were in Limpopo, the year before we were in the Northern Cape and this year it was the turn of the Free State Province. What we're trying to do though is to showcase the provinces that are less known in terms of their tourism offer. So we all know about the beauty of the Western Cape, we know the Wild Coast, we know the KwaZulu-Natal and Durban, uh, but not everybody knows about the special and beautiful places in the Free State Province. How many people will know, by the way, of the Kharib Dam that we went to a few weeks ago? How many people know about the Golden Gate, which is really one of our treasures? So the Free State Province, and I'm just mentioning two random examples, the Free State Province has incredibly beautiful things to offer, but people don't know about it. So that is why we're choosing to go to different provinces every year, to put them on the map, to expose provinces to the people of South Africa and let them think, say, wow, you know, I've been to Durban several times, I've been to Cape Town several times, but I've never been to Paris, and I've never been on the Val River, and why not? I've never been to Kharib Dam, although I've driven past Kharib Dam several times. That's South Africa's tourism minister, Derek Ganekom, speaking to Ntlantla Mahlangu. Asthma continues to be a significant problem globally and according to the Global Asthma Report put together by the Global Asthma Network, the disease is the 14th most important disorder in the world in terms of the extent and duration of disability. In South Africa, asthma is the third most common cause of hospital admission of children, yet only 2% of patients with asthma receive treatment. While current treatment programs are effective for patients with mild to moderate asthma, patients who fail to control their disease can escalate to acute asthma or even become unresponsive to current treatment efforts, placing them at an increased risk of death. More from Peter Russell, who's the head of marketing at Cipla Medpro, a pharmaceutical manufacturer in South Africa. Well, globally, we're looking at well over 300 million people suffering from asthma. In Africa itself, the you know, the, the reporting is not as accurate as we would wish it to be, but the estimates are looking at about one in a hundred patients having asthma. So there have been various groups that have got together. One is called GINA, the Global Initiative for Asthma, and the other one was the Global Asthma Report, where they looked at various countries around the world. What was the prevalence and how well are patients being managed and controlled with asthma? I think a very disappointing statistic that came out of the Global Asthma Report is that South Africa actually has the highest amount of deaths 
from asthma globally, and that's across both high and low income countries. What are some of the reasons why poor asthma control is experienced across the globe? Well, if we look um, more to our continent, I think it's really a big thing is access to the best medication. But if we look more globally, and this also includes Africa itself, is getting the right diagnosis, not just of asthma, but of the severity of asthma, and ensuring appropriate treatment is given to that diagnosis. Other factors that contribute to death is a lot of patients don't adhere to what the doctors prescribe them. They might only take the medication when they're feeling ill. And in terms of medication, there are two goals that a doctor will aim for. One is to open up the tube, so to speak, in the lungs, and the other is to decrease the inflammation in the lungs. Now, what a lot of patients do is they rely on their reliever or their emergency medication. So, you know, things like your Ventolin or Ventees, et cetera. Now, it's been shown the more that you use that, the greater your chance of actually dying from asthma. That is Peter Russell. He's the head of marketing at Cipla Medpro, a pharmaceutical manufacturer in South Africa, speaking to Elizabeth Litekhade. 17.45 Central African Time, Joala Netulo has your economic news. Thank you, Spumelele. Good afternoon. Two of the six of the world's biggest container shipping companies have confirmed that officials from South Africa's Competition Commission have raided them. Denmark's Maersk and the Swiss Mediterranean Shipping Company say they are cooperating with authorities following suspicion of colluding to inflate rates between Asia and South Africa. The other four companies are France's CMA CGM Shipping, Germany's Hamburg Sud, Singapore-based Pacific International Line and Maersk Unit, SAF Marine. The Competition Commission says such cartels have the effect of significantly derailing the economic growth of the region. Idumeleng Lesofe is the spokesperson of the Competition Commission. In terms of the Competition Act, companies are expected to set prices independently. In other words, they are not allowed to coordinate their pricing. Now, in this instance, it appears that instead of setting prices independently, cargo shipping companies have come together and reached agreements in terms of the level of prices to set and to charge customers. In addition to that, it appears that they don't allow customers to negotiate for better or cheaper rates. South Africa has moved up two notches in the World Economic Forum's Global Competitive Index. It's now ranked 47th out of 140 countries when it comes to competitiveness. The country performed well in labor market efficiency, macroeconomy, higher education and financial markets. Brand SA's CEO Kingsley Makubele is confident that rating agencies will take the report into account in determining the country's sovereign credit rating later this year. This is the World Economic Forum uh, Index. Uh, there are other indices that are issued out with respect to the country. And I think this global agencies, they look at them. And if you look at the general trend that we're having, uh, there's been a great deal of improvement. It's going to influence them definitely because they really look at uh, how the world is perceiving us. And if you look at the results that we're having now and the IMD results, they are almost confirming uh, each other. It, it's a consistency, and I think those results will be taken into account. 
Botswana's economy contracted 1.3% quarter-on-quarter in three months to end June versus a 4.6% expansion in the first quarter. On a year-on-year basis, GDP growth was at 1.6% in the second quarter after expanding by 2.7% in the first quarter. The Nigerian Naira has plunged further to a new record low, down 1.76% against the dollar on the parallel market. Even as dollar supplies dry up, the local currency fell to 460 to the dollar on the black market, down 452 at the close of trading on Tuesday, though the Naira closed at 305.50 to the dollar on the official interbank market against 0.05 a dollar the previous day. Traders said dollar liquidity remains a major challenge in the market. And finally, Kenya's economy will hit the government's growth target of 6% this year on the back of private sector performance. Central Bank Governor Patrick Njogore told news agency Reuters that a new rule capping commercial lending rates made setting the benchmark rate more complicated. The rule is not clear how any rate cut would affect commercial bank lending decisions. The decision to cap commercial lending rates now at 10% sent shockwaves through the market and bank shares stumbled. Taking a look at the financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 13.66 to the South African Rand, at 10.31 to the Botswana Pula, and at 9.88 to the Zambian Kwacha. It is also trading at 0.77 to the British Pound, and at 0.89 to the Euro. On the commodities market, gold is trading at $1,321, and platinum at $1,011 an ounce. Finally, the price of Brent crude oil was lastly trading at $46.515 a barrel. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. All right, thank you very much, Jolani. It's time for your sports news with Neto Chamane. Good evening, sport fans. With your latest sport news at this hour, I'm Neto and ETO Chemani. South Africa's popular team, Kaiser Chiefs, might have turned the corner after notching two successive victories in their last league matches. But spokesman Vina Maposa says they will have to grind out more good performances to get maximum points when they take on Free State Stars in an APSA Premiership match at the James Matlatsi Stadium in the Northwest Province tonight. Looking forward to a third win in a row. We are excited about the prospects of playing Free State Stars. And uh, yeah, we, our supporters are obviously looking forward to another win after we've had two back-to-back wins in the past two games. In another matches also taking part tonight, log leaders Golden Arrows have vowed to see off Supersport United at the Chatsworth Stadium in Durban. Baroka FC will be gunning for their second successive win when they welcome enterprising Chipa United at the new Peter Mugaba Stadium in Polukwani. South Africa's Premier League champions Mamelodi Sundowns' longest-serving player Tiko Modise says their belief in winning everything on offer is the reason why they will beat Bidvest Vets, whom they meet in the finals of the MTN 8 at the Mbombela Stadium in Nelspreet on Saturday. Known in the football circles as the general, Modise, who has been with the CAF Champions League finalists for the past five years and has won numerous cup competitions, expects to win the MTN 8 Cup with his star-studded side. I think it's the belief, I think it's the belief, you know, 
know, when, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you win so many games in a row, you start believing that uh, the only person that can disrupt is you. And uh, we believe that, you know, um, we, we can go all the way. And uh, that's what we did. And we're happy that we achieved uh, such results, even though we haven't won anything yet. But, I mean, uh, there's a milestone, and, and we're looking forward to play both finals. Zambia's national football team assistant coach Watson Yerenda says he is aware of the expectations which comes with being Chipolopolo head coach and hope that his philosophy would help to restore Zambia's glory after failing to qualify for the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations. Zambia hosts Nigeria in the 2018 FIFA World Cup qualifier at the Levi Monawasa Stadium in Indola on the 9th of October. Our Zambian correspondent Namuchana Namuchana has more. The preparations are going on well, and uh, as you might be aware, that the fans are not letting anything to challenge. Yeah, so far the, the fans have brought in uh, a lot of assistant coaches to the Zambia national soccer team coach, this is also Nirenda, who has been given a uh, goalkeeper coach, David Spirit, uh, to Kampamba and the other. So they're not letting anything to chance. The International Association of Athletics Federations, IAAF, has confirmed Wade Van Niekerk's 400-meter world record set in Rio de Janeiro. Van Niekerk smashed American Michael Johnson's 17-year-old 400-meter record when he stormed to Olympic gold in August at the Rio Olympic Games. Van Niekerk stopped the clock in a time of 43.03, which was 0.15 quicker than Johnson's previous world best set in Seville in 1999. The IAAF confirmed on its official Twitter page that Van Niekerk's time, along with the four other world records, were set and approved by the Athletics Governing Board, which included African compatriot Almas Ayana from Ethiopia in the women's 10,000 meters. And finally in rugby news, Rudy Page and Mornestein are said to be the starting halfbacks for the Springboks against the Wallabies in Pretoria on Saturday. Page is likely to replace Fav Ditlerk with Stein coming in for the out-of-sorts Alton Yankees. There were rumors earlier this week that Francois Hochart would be moved from wing to scrum half, but coach Alistair Kutsia is likely to keep him in the number 11 jersey. Page has only been utilized twice as a substitute and for limited periods in Kutsia's seven tests in charge to date. Thank you for tuning to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Africa Digest. Your time is 17.54 Central African time. Let's recap our top stories. A group of civil society organizations are calling for an independent and impartial international investigation into human rights violations in Ethiopia. Thousands of people have turned up for free health screenings in Dar es Salaam in Tanzania in the last three days. SAB Miller has today been taken over in one of the largest deals in corporate history. And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour from myself, Pumela Lezondi, producer Tracy Pumgaard, technical producer Sihlendro, and the rest of the team. Thank you very much for listening. You can send us emails. We're on info at channelafrica.co.za on SMS. We're on plus two seven eight two three three two. You can also send us tweets on Channel Africa One. We leave you with Through the Falling Rain by Teddy Pendergrass.